Hello, I'm Edwin Crozier, minister with the Franklin Church of Christ, and I want to thank you for taking the time to listen as we study God's Word together. In fact, this lesson is all about God's Word. Too many today want to put the Bible up on a shelf and forget about it, but we must not. Instead, we must study and use God's Word. Further, we need to be able to recommend God's Word to others to use in their lives. Won't you please join me as we ask the question, can we recommend the Bible? One of my all-time favorite musicals is Fiddler on the Roof. Anybody like Fiddler on the Roof? Tevye has got to be one of the greatest characters on the silver screen ever. There was a Jewish fellow, a poor milkman, just trying to make ends meet and hoping to marry off one of his daughters to a rich man so that he and his family could be taken care of for the rest of their lives by a son-in-law. But one of the interesting things about Tevye was that as, a, as an Orthodox Jew, he was very devoted to his Bible. And of course, for them, that was just the Old Testament. However, throughout the story, and whether you're, reading, or whether you're watching the movie or reading the stories, this is consistent with his character, he was devoted to the Bible, his Bible, and constantly made it a part of his everyday life. It was a part of his conversations. It was part of what he spoke with other people. Whenever lessons were to be learned, he would refer them back to the Bible. And, of course, what he would say is, as the good book says. When he was talking to his daughter, who was thinking of marrying a Gentile, he said, as the good book says, a bird may love a fish, but where would they make a home together? Now, I don't know where the good book actually says that, but he was trying to get back to his Bible. When his wife was giving him a hard time, you might remember he would say, as the good book says, heal us, O Lord, and we shall be healed. He said, which means give us the cure because I've got the sickness already. Constantly referring to the good book. Even, in fact, as he prayed to God at one time, he started as he was talking to God to say, as the good book says, why should I tell you what the good book says? But the key about this character was his devotion and study to the Word and how as part of his life, part of his conversation, and part of what he thought all the time, it was anchored back to what he had heard or what he had studied, what he had read from the Bible. Now here, of course, we as Christians have a greater covenant, a greater connection with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been given the completeness of revelation. We have the Word of God. My question is, do we have that same kind of relationship with God's Word? That kind of relationship where every aspect of our life comes back to God's Word. That kind of relationship where in our conversation, as we're trying to make points, as we're trying to talk to folks, as we're trying to make sense out of what's going on in the world, that we come back to God's Word. As we talk to other people about their lives and what would be helpful to them, are we a people that can recommend God's Word? Can we turn them to God's Word and tell them that if you want help, if you need to have a good life, you can recommend the Bible? Can we do that? Are we a people who are doing that? We're about to enter a new year. One of our great goals, of course, is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, to, to teach others about God's Word and God's will for their lives. If this congregation is going to be an evangelistic congregation, it's not going to be just about how many Bible studies we can have. It's not going to be just about how many cards we can hand out. It's going to be about a manner of life. 
and whether or not we are a people who are devoted to God's Word, who recommend it to others when they're facing problems. Can we tell them, this is where you need to go? When they have questions, can we tell them, here are the answers. Can we recommend God's Word? That's the kind of people that we need to be if we're going to be evangelistic, if we are going to get to the point of Bible studies and conversion and helping people come into Christ. We've got to be a people that are rooted and grounded in God's Word that can recommend it and point others to it as the guidebook. I want us to talk about that for a few minutes tonight and what that means, why some of us don't do it, and see if we can overcome some of our objections and obstacles, and then what the Bible is good for, what we can use it for, what we can recommend it for. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer? Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you because you've given us your word. You have revealed to us your mind as, as you want us to know it. And you have given us all that pertains to life and godliness through your dear son, Jesus Christ, and the revelation about him in this word. Father, we pray that you would help us to devote ourselves to study it, to understand it, to recognize that it's more than just the good book, but that it's your book, that it's your guidebook, that it's your blueprint for how you would have us live so that we can serve you and be your faithful children, that we can glorify and honor and praise you. Father, we don't want any glory. We want you to be glorified and we want you to be honored. Help us to devote ourselves to telling others about your word and spreading your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to first think about why sometimes we have a struggle talking about the Bible and recommending the Word of God. I think there are a few things that, that many of us probably deal with. The first thing is that some of us don't talk about the Bible because we don't want to be old-fashioned. You know, the Bible is an old book, and it's got, it's got out-of-date ideas that just aren't politically correct and just don't fit in with our modern society. And if we started telling people about the Bible and started trying to use that as a guide for life today, well, they would think that we're just out of touch. And we don't know what's going on in this world and that we we live with our head in the clouds or maybe stuck in the sand or whatever they might think about us. And so we're afraid, well, I just don't want to seem too old-fashioned. You know, this is the 21st century now and we need to move beyond. What on earth could this book, 2,000 years old, have for us today? Well, it's got a lot for us. We'll talk about that in a moment. Another thing, well, the Bible's for little children. What's the Bible good for? It's good for Bible stories. We learn about Daniel and the lion's den. We learn about David and Goliath. And, of course, Adam and Eve and the garden and the serpent and all those wonderful, beautiful children's stories. The Bible is for little children. I remember after 9-11, I heard a song on the radio by Alan Jackson. And there were some things I liked about it, some things I didn't like about it. I remember the line said, I believe in the chorus, and Matt may have to help me. Uh, I believe what it says is, I know Jesus and I talk to God and I remember this from when I was young. Faith, hope, and love are some things that He gave us and the greatest of these is love or the greatest is love, something like that. Were you there, I believe? Or where were you was the name of the song. Now, there are some things I like about that. What I like about that is that, of course, here was this tragedy that our nation was facing and here was somebody in the music business that was pointing everybody to some principles from God's Word about how to deal with it. And I really appreciated that. But something stood out to me in the middle of that. Why was it that this singer had to go all the way back to when he was young to have heard that statement? I remember this from when I was young. 
Because in our society, there are a lot of people that believe the Bible is good as a children's bedtime storybook. But they don't recognize how much it can help adults. Faith, hope, and love are some things He gave us. And the greatest is love. But I certainly hope that the last time we heard that was not when we were children because the Bible is not just a child's book. Some people don't want to talk about the Bible because I don't want to look like a Bible beater. Well, you know, the only people that ever bring up the Bible in their daily conversation and talk about God and Jesus, why that's just Jesus freaks and Bible beaters. And, you know, if I started talking about the Bible in my everyday conversation, folks might actually think I believed it. And if they thought I actually believed it, they might think that I wanted them to believe it. And they might think that I was trying to convert them and change their lives. And, oh, how awful that would be! And so we don't want to talk about the Bible. Some of us don't want to talk about the Bible because we realize, well, sure, the Bible is great for church. It's great for when we come together to worship, but it's not really that good for public life. It's not good for when we're dealing with our neighbors. And it's not good for when we're dealing with our co-workers. And, and we'll come together. We'll compartmentalize. We'll come to church and we'll worship God and we'll listen to sermons and we'll study and read and we'll say amen and how awesome the Bible is. But come Monday morning, I've got real life to get on with. I'm going to go to work and I really need to just compartmentalize that and put that part of my life on hold as I get on with real life. Because the Bible is good for church, but not for much of anything else. Some of us don't talk about the Bible because, why? Intelligent people don't believe the Bible. Atheists are in a campaign in our society to let us know that the smart people the smart people have learned that the Bible is just an outdated cultural book that put together by ancient people trying to make sense of the world, but we have moved beyond that, and we don't need the Bible. And the Bible, smart people in modern society don't believe the Bible. And if I start talking about the Bible, folks will think I'm ignorant. And of course, I want to present myself as intelligent, as smart, as somebody that can be trusted and somebody that ought to be listened to. And so I don't really want to talk about the Bible. I hope that somewhere along the line we can get around to that, because I know it's important, but, but I don't want to look stupid. Some people don't want to talk about the Bible because, well, the Bible doesn't have any real help to offer people. It's a nice book. It's a book of philosophy and a book of theory. It's got a lot of ethereal things that we can talk about and we can discuss whenever we don't have any real life problems to deal with. But, you know, here I am, a person that's trying to make ends meet. I've got to work 60 hours a week. I've got to put food on the table. I've got to make sure my grass gets cut every week. I've got real life going on here. And I don't have time to have my head stuck in the clouds worrying about what those verses in the Bible say. We've got to have something real and practical and down to earth. And some are just convinced that, that you know, the Bible just doesn't have that. And so they don't ever talk about the Bible because they don't realize what kind of help it can offer for real life. But probably for most of us, one of the number one things that we're just most worried about is I just don't know it well enough. I wouldn't know what to say. I wouldn't know how to apply it. I wouldn't know what I should tell people about the Word of God. And so I don't talk about the Word of God very much. If any of these things have been in your life, I want to encourage you to understand that the Word of God is useful. The Word of God does provide help. It's not ignorant people that believe it. 
we can recommend the Bible. The Bible is good, and it's still good for us today, even in the year 2004 and soon to be the year 2005. I'd like for us to consider just a moment things to, to wipe away all these objections and all these obstacles and just ask ourselves the question, well, what is it good for? What can we use it for? I think the overall answer is demonstrated in passages like 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 and 17. We need to recognize that 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, this is the Word of God. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for entraining in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. This is God's book. This is not just some self-help book. This is not just something that a few people gathered together and decided to write to give us some ideas about how to live. This is a book that came from God. And as God's book, it is the guidebook for our life. It reproves us. It instructs us. It teaches us. It gives us training in righteousness so that we can be equipped for every good work. And we recognize, of course, God as the supreme creator of the universe. Our creator. That if He is going to write something to us and give us this communication, He's going to give us something that's good for us. And He's going to give us something that lasts, that's eternal, that corresponds with His nature as eternal, as benevolent, as loving, as judge, but as our merciful benefactor. And that's exactly what He's provided us. He's provided us something that is good for us. And as His Word... There are some things that are implied in that. This is the Word of God. What does that mean it's good for? Well, I'll tell you what. Have you ever thought about this? It's good for history. Now, I understand that God didn't give us the Bible as a history textbook. I'm not saying that this is the only book that we can read to learn about history, nor am I even saying that that was why He gave it to us, that we would know history. That when you read the Bible... It, you can tell it's not given so that we'll know world history. However, one of the amazing things about it is we recognize is that the one who authored this ultimately was there for all of history. He saw it. He was an eyewitness. If his book contains that this is the way it happened, guess what? This is the way it happened. Acts chapter 17 and verse 26. Acts chapter 17 and verse 26. The Scripture says that He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitations. This is the sovereign ruler of the world. This is the one who has appointed the times and the boundaries. His book that He's given to us is good for history. And amazingly enough, despite the fact that the critics have constantly pounded and pounded and pounded on the Word of God, have constantly tried to find where the Word of God was wrong and missed it, do you know what? In all the places where the study of history and archaeology has revealed whether or not the Bible is true, do you know what it has always done? It has always supported what the Bible says happened. Always. Now, I recognize there's lots of history that has not been supported yet. There are a lot of things we still don't know. But in every place where it's been revealed through the study of archaeology and history, it has always supported what the Bible says. And we should have known that. This is God's book. He was there. It's good for history. It's good for science. Now, I know folks are going to say, what? No way. This is faith. This isn't science. 
Oh, I want to remind you again, who created our world? Who created the way things work? Who created the laws for our universe? The one who wrote this book. I understand that this book was not given us as a biology textbook or a chemistry textbook or physics or any of that. That's not even the main purpose. However, what we can learn is that where this book tells us about something that we might consider in the realm of science, guess what we can believe about it? It's right. It's right. That's why Matthew Mari, when he read in the Psalms about the paths of the sea, was motivated to look for the currents in the sea, and he found it, and it revolutionized the shipping industry. That's why we could trust it when it says the life is in the blood. And just recently, relatively recently, as far as history is concerned, they learned that they should quit bleeding patients because why the life is in the blood. But God's Word told them that. Job, as he said, that the earth hangs on nothing, despite what the common idea of his day was. We could trust that. In Genesis chapter 10 and verse 35, where it says, In the days of Peleg, the earth was divided. We can trust that. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, when it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We can trust that. God was there. He knows what happened. He designed it. And so where the Bible talks about things that we might consider in the realm of science, we can trust that God's Word is right. Because God is the one who created science. This word is from God. Therefore, it's good for serving God. It's good for knowing how to do what God wants us to do. It stands to reason that that's, the, that's why God gave it to us. He wanted to let us know how He intended for us to live. To glorify and to honor Him. John chapter 4 and verse 24. In John chapter 4 and verse 24, Jesus, as He spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well, in John chapter 4 and verse 24, He said, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. We talked a little bit about worshiping in spirit this morning. Now let's just think about that truth for a minute tonight. How are we going to know what God's truth is? He's going to have to tell us. I can't read the mind of God. You can't read the mind of God. Paul in 1 Corinthians points that out, that we can't know the mind of God unless He tells us. How are we going to know how to worship Him in spirit and in truth? We've got to go to the book that He gave us to teach us how to worship Him in spirit and in truth. It is not enough for us to just do whatever we want and claim that it is worship and claim that it is honoring God and serving Him unless it is what He said. Unless it is what He asked for, we're not really serving Him. What is this book good for? It's good to equip us for every good work. Remember? Everything that we do is worship to God. We need to have authority for from this book because this book is good for teaching us how to worship God in spirit and in truth. Beyond that, it's good just for wisdom and for daily life. We could go to Barnes & Noble or Borders or Books A Million, Walden Books, and we could find 
huge sections of self-help books that will teach us how to live our lives so that we can be successful, so that we could have victory in this life and that we can overcome and we can be effective and, and do the right things. And I'm, I'm all into reading all that kind of stuff. I read lots of that stuff. But one of the things I've learned is that any place where those books tell you something that's right, do you know where it originated? Right here. I have yet to read a self-help book that taught me something that I said, wow, I wonder why God didn't include that in the Bible. It's always there. Some of them will admit it. Some of them won't. Some of them have forgotten that Solomon pointed out that there's nothing new under the sun and they think that they created all this. But if it's helpful, if it's beneficial, I've always found it's been here first. And so if we want to lead successful lives, if we want to have daily wise living that helps us lead effective lives, we're going to find it from right here. We recognize then. If the Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 that we need to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and then all these things will be added to us, we realize I can live that way and God will take care of me. But do I believe that? Do I really believe the Bible is good for that? In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25, if the Bible says, therefore laying aside falsehood, speak truth to each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. If the Bible says that, I think we can learn. Honesty is the best policy. And boy, haven't we learned over the past few years just by watching the news that honesty is the best policy. Not just here in this building. Not just in our homes. But in business. Honesty is the best Policy. Tie it into what we're dealing with right now in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 35, and everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner you must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that He Himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. If God's Word says it's more blessed to give than to receive, we can bank on that. And if we live that way, we will have wise, successful, effective, victorious lives. We can trust God's Word. But if God says this is the way to have a good life, then it'll work that way. Think about it. God created us. He knows how we work. If He says this is what will be best for you, it'll be best for us. But we carry that a step further. Not only did He create us, but He created the other folks around here too. And He knows what they need. And the people that you live next door to, He knows what they need. And the folks that you work with, He knows what they need. And, and your family and your friends, all the relationships that you have. God created all these people. God knows how we tick. And if we want to know how to have positive relationships, whether it be within the church or within our neighborhood or whether it be on the job or within our families or at school, it stands to reason that the God who created us, who has given us this communication, if He tells us, here's how to act toward other people, it just stands to reason that He knows what He's talking about. And we can study what He says and we can live that way and we'll have better relationships. 
And we can talk to other people and help them have better relationships by recommending God's Word to them. And so in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26, when God says, Be angry and yet do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. We learn in our relationships, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let it sit there and fester. If God says this is the best way to deal with it, then this is the best way to deal with it. Get it over with. Don't let it sit there. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. He says, In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. If God says this is the way we ought to live, I guarantee if we live by this, what we call the golden rule, then we're going to have positive relationships. Treating others the way we want to be treated. If God said that's what's going to provide good relationships, I guarantee you it's going to. Finally, it's good for eternity and for salvation. In fact, it is the only book that is good for eternity and salvation. Any other book that's going to help you go to heaven, that's going to help you eternally, it's only going to do so to the extent that it tells you what this book says. And so why not, let's just make sure we always go back to this one. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. He will reward those who seek Him. We've got to believe that. That's talking about our eternity. That's talking about our salvation. He says you've got to have faith. And what you've got to believe is that God exists, and that He will reward those who seek Him. But how do we have this kind of faith that allows us to please God, that allows us to receive the reward that God has planned for those who believe in Him and believe that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him? We all know Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. How do we have the faith that helps us please God? Right here. We don't get this kind of faith from chicken soup for the soul. We don't get this kind of faith from nice devotional books. We get the kind of faith that helps us please God by going to His book and believing Him. What's this book good for? It's good for lots of things. And it's still good for us today. The question is, do we believe that? Do we believe that? We believe in God. The question really is, do we believe God? When He says that it's a certain way, do we believe Him? And if we believe Him, do we tell others? Matthew chapter 10. Verse 32 and 33, Therefore, everyone who confesses Me before men, I will also confess him before My Father who is in heaven. 
I realize, of course, that when we begin to confess God and His Word before men, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 18, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 says, For the word of cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs, and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews, a stumbling block, and to Gentiles, foolishness. And to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I understand that when we begin to confess this to men, there will be some who think we are ignorant. There will be some who think we are outdated. There will be some who think our heads are stuck in the clouds or buried in the sand. But if we believe this, we recognize that they are wrong. This is the power of God to save mankind. And the question is, do we believe it? Are we recommending it? I just want to think before we close about some possible scenarios in which you can recommend God's Word. We're not just talking about inviting folks to have a Bible study and coming up to them with a card and saying, hey, come to church. I'm talking about just making it a part of your conversation. Being able to say, as the good book says. Somebody at work says to you, well, my wife and I or my husband and I had another big argument last night. I tell you, I just don't know what's going to happen. I love my wife, but I'm just not sure she loves me anymore. Can you think of a way to recommend God's Word there? I mean, every single one of us who are married, we've all had nights like that, haven't we? Most of us. We've, we've had those nights. What can we say? Hey, I've been there. I know what you're talking about. You know what's helped me? Philippians chapter 2 helped me. And take them to Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Or, or whatever passage from the Bible helps you in your marriage. But you're recommending God's Word to them, aren't you? By the way, for those of you who are wondering, Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4, you remember that's the do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but in all things do the other one is more important. Most important Bible passage in your marriage, by the way. Or, how about this? You're sitting there and they say, oh, I can't believe it. That jerk makes me so mad, whether they're talking about their boss or one of the employees or whoever it is. It makes me so mad I could just spit. Oh, I tell you what, you know, when I get to feeling like that, I always remember what it says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26. Be angry and don't sin. Or whatever passage you've used to help you deal with anger. Or how about this one? We talked about this in our Sunday morning class back here about evangelism. Somebody says to you, hey, what you been doing today? If you woke up this morning and read your Bible and you prayed, guess what you can tell them? 
I studied from John chapter 2. Do you know what happened there? That is such an amazing chapter. I, I, did, I, I didn't realize this. You know, I don't know how many times I've read John 2 or, or Romans 5 or, or whatever it was that you were reading. It, but this morning, I learned such and such. Did you know that? And who knows where that might lead. See, there are all kinds of ways for you to recommend the Word of God. Here's the question. Are we recommending God's Word? We believe in God. Do we believe Him? And do we let others know that we believe Him? We are going to be. We are already. And we're just going to grow in evangelism and spreading the gospel. This is one of the keys. It's not about high-key performance programs and major Bible studies. It's about just being a people that believes God's Word to the extent that we're willing to tell other folks about how it can help them. Are you recommending God's Word? Thank you so much for studying God's Word with us today. I hope this lesson helped build your faith in the Bible, demonstrating how useful it is as a manual for our lives. Let's remember what we learned. The Bible is good for, one, history, two, science, three, serving God, four, wisdom and daily life, five, relationships, and six, eternity and salvation. If you were given this lesson by a friend, please feel free to visit our website where you can download many of our lessons both in audio and outline format. That website is www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. If you have any questions about God's Word, about how to use the Bible, or about the Franklin Church of Christ, please contact us by calling 615-794-2359. Or you can contact us through our website, franklinchurchofchrist.com. May God richly bless you as you grow in faith. More importantly, may you richly bless God.